several miles off the main highway, tucked away in a secluded canyon on prime vineyard property, stands a rustic barn that was built many decades before the vines around it were planted. In that barn, a sophisticated broadcast and recording studio has been built. The barn also has a well-hidden root cellar stocked with many of the world's most exceptional wines, only to be shared with guests who secretly come to offer their insights and tell their stories. Guests are sworn to secrecy and are shuttled to the studio aboard a John Deere tractor. Those who cannot make the journey in person are interviewed by satellite hookup, and sometimes the crew simply sneaks away with microphones in hand and interviews guests in barrel rooms, wine cellars, and other magical places. All of this is done like clockwork every single week so that we can bring you another episode of Grape Encounters Radio. Peel me a grape Crush me some ice Skin me a peach Save the fuzz for my pillow And welcome to another episode of Grape Encounters Radio And this is going to be a doozy I am so excited to have on the guests that we have today They're coming to us from all corners of the world They have created a company that is doing some research That parallels in a big way, really A lot of the things that I have been talking about On Grape Encounters for a long time How many times have I told you that there is a relationship That I truly believe that exists between the music that we listen to and the wine that we drink, or perhaps the car that you drive and the wine that we drink, there is no mistaking the fact that our preferences in wine are in many ways related to our preferences of other things in life. But it may go much deeper than that. And there is a company that is doing some amazing, I guess I would say earth-shattering work in this regard. It's called Venome Inc. And I have three of the co-founders on the line right now with me, Ron Andrews, Sarah Reardon, and Shannon Kieran. And welcome, folks. So glad to have you guys on. Yeah, thanks for having us. Let's start with you, Ron. Venome, okay? The first place we should start is, what does it mean? Why that name? Yeah, well, listen, our group comes out of the clinical genomics world, and we're sitting around one day thinking, hey, if we can take DNA out of various tissues and match it to drugs to help patients, we should be able to take taste and olfaction and match it to wine preference. And given the fact that the three of us, along with some of our other colleagues, are wine geeks, we thought it would be a great way to sort of practice both our passion for the genome and our passion for wine. So if you take vino for wine and genome and the ohm from genome, it became Venome, and it just seemed like the obvious name for us as uh, we started our project. Oh, it's a great name. But let's get more specific about what the three of you were actually doing. How were you making a living? Can you be, for the layperson who would not understand a complicated profession like yours, what were you doing exactly? Yeah, so for the last really 16, 18 years since the Human Genome Project was coming to an end, genetic scientists like Sarah and Shannon and what I would call business scientists like me, have been coming together to try to identify ways to improve a patient's health, especially with uh, chronic and severe diseases such as oncology and in the world of cancer. And we fast realized that understanding the DNA of these types of diseases allowed us to match it to a better drug regimen. 
And that combination with other factors, that lifestyle factors of that patient helped us really prescribe with the treatment team a much better course of therapy. And we've had a lot of success. And, you know, we were there in the early days, but today that is the standard of care in the world of oncology where a patient gets a biopsy of a tumor and we do a very large gene panel and that gene panel helps us decide what drugs we should use. And so, again, that sort of led us to this whole idea that if we can take it and do something as complex as oncology, we should be able to take a taste and olfaction genetics. And I'll let Sarah comment, but there are hundreds of papers published in the world of taste and smell from a genetics perspective. And we thought, well, let's go give it a shot and let's try to dig in and see if there's some correlation there. Are there other companies out there, people who produce food products, let's say, that are digging in that deep and looking at, you know, a person's gene structure and then trying to find correlations that would allow them to produce products that would be more palatable and desirable to the general public? Is anything being done like that now? Not to our knowledge. I mean, Sarah, you're deep in the science every day. I'll let you comment. Yeah, Yeah, this is a really novel approach, David, to use science to be able to hone in on people's taste, right? And so while there have been some products that try to use like lifestyle factors and personality to try to get information about what foods and beverages people would enjoy, you know, we're the first product to actually take it to the DNA level. So when a kid doesn't like Brussels sprouts or, you know, some other food that mom or dad put on the plate, is it possible that there's a scientific explanation as to why they don't like it? Certainly nothing that I've ever heard before, but it kind of makes sense. Yeah, it's a great question. And so there is actually a genetic factor that's been associated with Brussels sprouts liking or disliking. And there's a chemical that's in Brussels sprouts and a lot of other cruciferous vegetables that some people find to be very bitter. And while other people don't taste that bitterness, and there's actually a genetic factor that's in a taste receptor gene that codes for a taste receptor on your tongue that is related to that. So that can explain partially why some people like Brussels sprouts and why others don't. There's also a lot of environmental and lifestyle factors involved in taste. And so I would say our taste evolve over time. Many of us didn't like Brussels sprouts as a kid, but we've become more tolerant as adults. So it's really a combination of the environment and lifestyle and your genetic factors that go into, you know, the complex nature of your food and beverage preferences. So let me understand this better. I was definitely one of those kids that did not like Brussels sprouts, and now I can't get enough of them. I love them. (laughs) What happened to me? Did you start putting bacon on it, David? (laughs) I am not answering that question. (laughs) Yeah, so David, in terms of your genetics, you may have the genetic factor that makes you more tolerant of that bitter taste and perhaps the reason. In general, our tastes actually, we become less sensitive to bitter taste as we get older. So kids have more distinct picky palates, but as we experience more things as we get older, in general, we become more tolerant. So it's probably a combination of those two things. Fascinating. That is so interesting. Let's talk about what the epiphany was when you all were sitting around, and I guess you said you're all wine geeks, right? You're all sitting around drinking wine. Who was the person who said, oh my gosh, I got an idea? Well, it's kind of crazy, David. We, Ironically, Sarah Shannon and another one of our colleagues was a co-founder, Alyssa Levins. The three of them, coming from the genetics world, had thought about this, and it actually started a company called Darwin's Cork, 
I was coming at it from a little different perspective. And so we were sitting at the big cancer meeting uh, a few years ago, and we were enjoying a nice 20 Kama select. And we said, hey, if, if we can do this in the clinical world, we should be able to use the same approach in the what I would call the entertainment or the lifestyle world. Sure. And everybody said, heck, yeah, we're doing this, Ronnie. Here's our idea. So Shannon and them shared their idea, and I was sharing my idea. Next thing you know, said, hey, let's combine forces. And we made a toast, and next thing you know, Venom was born. Of course, there's very few people that would ever turn their nose up to a wine coming from the Wagner family, you know, that makes Camus. <laughs> exactly. Everybody. Well, like I said, we're wine geek. We always use every moment to celebrate we can. So uh, yeah. we like to celebrate with really good wine. So. so where are we at right now in this? And by the way, we're talking to Ron Andrews, Sarah Reardon, and Shannon Kieran. They are co-founders of Venome Inc. Are you guys based in Healdsburg? Is that the home base? So we are, our home base is in Hillsburg, California, up in the Russian River, and we're really very blessed to be there. It's a great, great place to, to oh, do yeah. what we're doing. Lots of boutique wineries, lots of family wineries there, and our whole business approach is really to create a marketplace for small boutique family wineries that today are hamstrung by some of the challenges of distribution and you know the large proportion right. of the revenues that are typically taken through distribution. And so... You know, I grew up in the Deep South, and a lot of my friends, when they come to see me, they're like, wow, how do I get this wine? And I realized that there's a whole opportunity outside of California to promote these small boutique wineries uh, to the rest of the world. And so the idea behind Venome was to go do the research to really narrow in on what are the parameters that make a person's you know, taste preference happen, and then to take these boutique wineries, put them in the marketplace, and match these wines by flavor profile to a consumer that has that flavor profile so that the first encounter of a consumer in the marketplace, let's say in Atlanta or in, in Dallas or in Raleigh or some of these places that may not have access to a lot of these boutique wines, that the first encounter with these wines is an amazing encounter because we've targeted that flavor profile specifically for that person. And that creates stickiness with the winemakers and the wineries that we are partnered with so that they reorder these wines. And it's really been very exciting. You know, I'd love for... I think Shannon, you know, can take you through a little bit about how we got here. It really took us a lot longer. The science was a little harder than we thought, and we've actually added the lifestyle parameters to go with the genetics because the genetics alone didn't give us all the data that we needed to get the specificity around the flavor profiles. But Shannon, I mean, you want to give a little background well, of the search let, we did? Let's hold that thought for just a second. We're okay. going to take a quick okay. break. Man, i got to take a quick cold shower because this is fascinating stuff. Oh, my gosh. I've been wanting to have a conversation like this forever. I feel validated. We're going to come back with more Grape Encounters in just a second with the folks from Venome Inc. This is great stuff and a lot to learn yet. So we will be back right after these messages. Stay with us. People sometimes say it's the wine talking. Well, everyone knows that wine can't talk. That's why a bunch of grapes got together and hired David Wilson to do the talking for them. <laughs> David will uncork today's story after this. This segment of Grape Encounters is brought to you by my number one wine discovery of 2016, the awesome gold medal winning wines of the Cardello Winery. From the very first sip, you'll understand why these astounding, nicely priced Cardello wines are swiftly becoming a cult classic, just as I predicted. Handcrafted and stunning, you can get yours at CardelloWinery.com. That's CardelloWinery.com. Or find more information at GrapeEncounters.com. 
Did you know that you can visit us in person right in the heart of the Central Coast wine country of California? We can get you a special rate at one of our loveliest hotels, introduce you to some epic wines in person, help you chart out amazing self-guided winery tours, and tell you stories that we're not allowed to share on the radio. Okay, that last one was a, a stretch. Here's David. Back with Grape Encounters Radio, and people have told me many times that I have a lot of wine in my blood. But, you know, maybe what's in your blood determines what kind of wine you are attracted to. This discussion that we're having today is just so off the charts because it is so in tune with something that I have believed. It's a suspicion that I've had for a long time, but unfortunately... These guys and gals over at Venome Inc. have scooped me. You know, I've been on the air telling you the relationship between our lifestyle preferences and how they correlate with our wine preferences. And it turns out that it may go way deeper than that. It may be in our DNA. And on the line with us is Ron Andrews, Sarah Reardon, and uh, Shannon Kieran, who are co-founders of Venome. And Ron, there are more people involved than just the three of you, right? That's correct. We had Shannon and Sarah, and as I said earlier, a co-founder of ours was from the genetics world, Alyssa Levin. And then we felt like, hey, we've got a gap in wine industry knowledge. So we found a partner there, a guy named Zach Mescal, who was an up-and-coming millennial in the wine world at the time. And we also needed somebody to help us build the, you know, the performer models to go raise money and things like that. So we have a finance person, and, and he came in. His name's Josh Riggs. And so that's the core team that helped us found me, you know. You know, what ultimately is it that you want to accomplish? Where is this project going to go? How is it going to be used? How will you market yourselves? And, you know, who are going to be your customers? Yeah, it's a great question. I'll start. I'll let Shannon and Sarah chime in because they'll have their thoughts on this. But, you know, my whole focus is to create a, a marketplace for boutique wineries and artisan winemakers to be able to market their incredible wines you know, to people outside of California and create a DTC linkage to them so that they can obviate the distribution challenges that are exist today for small wineries. And we just, that's an important thing to do because there's so much great wine up and down the coast of California, Oregon, and Washington that never makes it to states out east because of the distribution challenges. And we really want to break down that barrier and let those people get access to these wines. And all we do with our, you know, the Venom test is really to narrow down the flavor profile as I said, so that encounter is a great one. But we would like to disrupt the distribution chain and help people get access, I think, is the main thing. Shannon, your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, Sarah and I have both been in the genomics space, in the direct-to-consumer genomics space for about a decade, and we're very passionate about what people can do with DNA. And although we take our science very seriously, we think that wine should be fun. And so, our main goal with providing people back their results in Venom is to let them explore their palate, let them explore their olfaction, let them see how you're right, David, that things in their lifestyle and what they eat for breakfast and dinner are factors that also contribute to how they might enjoy their wine after dinner. So for us, it's really about giving people a fun and accessible way to start exploring something that's so innately personal for them their DNA. Well, you know, it's interesting when somebody moves onto your block and they decide to paint their house bright pink, you know, and everybody in the neighborhood says, oh my gosh, it's atrocious, you know, it's terrible. The truth is, is the person who painted the house pink likes pink and they like their house pink. And there's an explanation 
that most of us probably don't understand. You know, I think the same is true with wine. And, you know, what's really interesting to me is that, let me put it to you this way. I'm around wine drinkers practically 24-7. And the more I get to know people, the more I start noticing patterns between the type of person that I'm speaking to and the things that they wear, the cars that they drive, where they live, the music they listen to, all of these things build up, you know, sort of this composite of who this person is. And you get to know a little bit about that person and suddenly you can really get a beat on, you know, what wine they're going to like. And to me, it's become second nature. I've served tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of glasses of wine in my life. And the more I do it, the more spot on I am. But I never really thought about the genetic connection. You know, I never took it that far, but I guess, you know, it really makes sense. How do you gather information from a prospect, somebody that you want to match up to wines? What do you do? You take a little blood? Do you take a piece of hair? How does it work? Way more simple than that, David. So the venome test is done with a simple saliva sample. But it didn't start there, right? We started with a whole cohort of research participants who not only gave us their saliva sample, but also sat down for a blind tasting of 12 different wines that had really been picked to pull out very specific flavor profiles. And we surveyed these people on not only their lifestyle factors, but also what they thought about each of those wines. And from all of the information that we gathered, including the genetics, from those research participants, we were able to hone in on what are those factors in uh, lifestyle and what are those flavors in wine that really determine whether a specific individual will enjoy that wine. And so what our service looks like today, based on all of that research, somebody can go ahead and sign up for Venome. We have a partner lab called Helix, and Helix actually collects a saliva sample and runs the DNA for us. Meanwhile, folks go online, they go into their Venome account, they take a little taste and lifestyle quiz, tell us a little bit more about themselves. It's a quick quiz. It's about 10 questions, takes, you know, five minutes. And so then that information about their lifestyle combined with their genetics, four to six weeks later, will result in them having their full Venome results and profile available online. Wow. I wonder what would happen if I took a sample from our spit bucket and then send it in to you. <laughs> Wouldn't that be interesting, huh? <laughs> Just swizzle yeah. it up. And send it. Boy, You'd probably get somebody that likes all varieties. Person. Unfortunately, yeah, the alcohol would denature the DNA, but we should try that experiment. Well, it's well, like something's fun well, to do. Well, remember, Ron, it's a spit bucket. Yeah. You're going to find somebody who hates everything. <laughs> Good point, David. Good point. Really, what's going to happen? So do I actually send my saliva sample in? Do you send me some kind of a kit that I use to collect the saliva and then send it to you? Or is it a swab or how does it work? Yeah, so it's a little tube that you would spit in and mail it back to us. Very simple. Wow. And is this service available now or is it up and running? It is available it is. now. Yep. Oh, my Absolutely. gosh. Absolutely. So anyone can check us out in venome.com and there's more detail about the service. On their website. Oh, wow. Just fascinating. All right. We've got time for a little bit more chat. So let's take a quick break here and we'll wrap it up talking to Shannon Kieran, Sarah Reardon, and Ron Andrews from Venome Inc. Guess what? Your DNA may dictate the wines that you prefer. You know, it really makes sense when you think about it, doesn't it? It really makes sense. Uh, you know what? I feel vindicated today. This is so cool. All right, we'll be back with more Grape Encounters and my very special guest from Venome, Inc., 
right after this. I've got to go do a saliva sample during the break. There are tens of thousands of wines and even more stories about them. Here's a wine story selected just for you by your personal wine captain, David Wilson. But first, this... There's a lot of counterfeiting going on in the wine world these days, but you can't fake a true grape encounter. Back with a real McCoy is David Wilson with a story you are sure to enjoy. Back with Grape Encounters Radio, and if you think that what we're talking about is witchcraft, think again. There has been a ton of very serious research going on behind the scenes at Venome Inc., and specifically looking at the connection between your DNA and your wine preferences. Wouldn't it be nice, with literally millions of wines to choose from around the world on any given day, trying to pick the perfect wine for yourself is a daunting task, and most of us fail and that is a fact. Most of us will never find the perfect wine for ourselves because there's too much wine out there. But what if your DNA held the answer to which wines are really going to be the ones that are going to give you the most pleasure? Well, that's what Venom Inc. is all about. We've got Ron Andrews, Sarah Reardon, and Shannon Kieran on today. And I don't know who wants to take a stab at this, but you guys did a lot of hard work and heavy lifting before you launched this project and actually started selling your services out there. Tell me what that was about. This is Sarah. Yeah, you know, we wanted to explore this connection between how your DNA affects your taste because we know that DNA can code for smell receptors in your nose and taste receptors on your tongue and to see how that affected wine preference because we already knew that there were associations between how your genes affect whether you like Brussels sprouts or not. We talked about that. So why yeah. why couldn't we apply that to wine, right? And Shannon talked a little bit about our research study with over 500 people. These folks tasted 12 different wines and rated those wines and told us about the flavors they could taste in those wines. We tested their DNA for 40 different DNA variants that we knew were involved with taste and smell. And we had these folks fill out a very detailed lifestyle survey. And so we took all of that information in and we were able to develop our algorithm, which combines genetic factors, your DNA results, plus lifestyle factors from our taste quiz. And are then able to put people into these categories. And as we know, we're very focused on not telling people, okay, well, you're just going to like a Cab Sauv or you're going to like this particular varietal, but really breaking the wines apart by flavors and telling people, you know, this is your flavor profile. You're a jam dunk and you like lots of berry and fruit in your wine. You're a big bold and you like lots of coffee and bold flavors in your wine. And so we're not varietal specific. We're really honing in on the DNA lifestyle factors that affect particular flavor preferences. David, I was just going to say to affirm your hypothesis that you've been chasing as well, we were really interested in that research to see that we had an un-oaked Chardonnay and an oak Chardonnay. And literally, the people that yeah. loved the oak hated the un-oaked. People that loved the un-oaked hated the oak. And so we really knew at that point in time we were on to something. We had an 06 Syrah where we really fell into the big bold category, which would normally be people think of as the cab. And so at the end, when we pulled the bags off the bottles, it was really fun to watch. The people said, I hate Rieslings, and we had a nice dry Riesling, and all of a sudden, 
that was one of their top lines, they're realizing, oh my gosh, it's not the varietal that people really care about, but we think they get brainwashed by, you know, some of the wine writers and certainly some of the pontiffs that, that write about scores and their so-called right. experts. I mean, we certainly respect their palates and all that, but every individual has their own individual preference and palate, and it was fun to get that out of our research. So here's an interesting hypothetical question for you. If we could get our hands on a little bit of Robert Parker's saliva and then go out and test some wine that might be candidates for high-scoring awards might just be possible to recreate the kind of scores that you would get from a particular wine expert out there, even without having that reviewer present. I know that yeah, sounds, sounds, well, sounds crazy, but there's something there, right? Yep. Wow. We've had people think about that and ask us about that as well. And, and could you build a custom wine for a specific vino, i.e. for a jam dunk? And Sarah, I'll let you and Shannon think through that, but I definitely think that is a possibility for people who want to create a wine specific for a bin that it is possible to do that. Yeah, and, the, you know, I want to just also say that with the 500 people and plus some that were part of our original research, they were really all across the whole spectrum of wine novice to expert. And so we didn't have 500 Robert Parkers in our research study. We were really trying to hone in on what wine and DNA mean to the average consumer. So our research, you know, really was for the broader audience. But I guess what I'm saying is if we could steal a cocktail napkin from Robert Parker's dinner setting and grab a little of his DNA, would we then be able to kind of come up with a composite that would allow us to find wines that would likely win those kinds of scores that everybody seeks out, those elusive 100-point scores? I mean, it's just an interesting idea, but it sounds like in reality, it seems like the applications for what you're doing are almost endless. You could really do amazing things because you were talking about the boutique winemakers out there. Some of them never get a shot at those big awards because, frankly, it's too expensive to get into the competitions. But you could certainly identify wines that have all the quality necessary to be a world-class wine. Yeah, you just narrowed it and it hit the nail on the head for us. I mean, what we hope to do in Beanome is to find a population of people where a Terry Hogue GSM is a 100-point wine for those people. No matter what the wine writers say, for that group of people, right. that's a 100-point wine. And I think right. that's the idea for us, is to really find that population of people and match these wines to it so that every experience is a 100-point experience. All right, we're down to just the last couple of minutes here, but tell me about the partners, the boutique wine makers that you're working with right now and how, in a practical sense, you're putting this into application. Yeah, so we've got a number of wineries up and down the coast that have been interested and been working with us through our sort of trial phases as we've been doing our research. We have people like Terry Hogue, like Ed Sabragia. I think everybody knows Ed. Ed is, sure. you know, probably has the most 90-point wines of anybody in Napa, and Ed loves this idea because he gets his Bragia family brands out there to others. You've got folks like Niels Vingy at Saddleback, and we've got Holly. And we just did a whole show with Niels a couple of weeks ago, and also on that show was Mark Carter, who's one. 500-point scores from Parker. You know, it might be interesting to analyze the winemaker's DNA as well because there's a reason that they're making the wines that they're making. Yeah, most of these guys are on early tasting panels, David, and you're right on that they all had their own nuance about how they tasted these wines that we were putting into the research and their venoms matter as well and but when we have some great wineries like spicy vines up in Hillsburg and so all in all we're just excited 
of the people that are coming to put their wines in the marketplace as we move to the DTC model and try to get these wines promoted and marketed to a very specific group of consumers on the other end, be it using Denon taste profiling. Sarah or Shannon, anything to add to that? This is Shannon. I just wanted to add that wineries that we partner with are growing all the time. And so we have both a model where members can decide to have us ship them quarterly shipments of wine that we believe they're going to love, or they can go on demand anytime and actually shop from our online wine store. So once you're in the Venome family, you're in and you have access to all of our winery partners. So this is a very important part that we've only just touched on just now. You have partnered with wineries and someone who wants to get involved with Venome, they can have their DNA analyzed and then you will find for them wines that are going to be the best match that you can come up with their DNA. Is that correct? That's right. Wow, that's so cool. I want to do this. Let's do it. We'll do it. We'll get you a kit. I'm going to send you guys some spit. We'll get that right off to you guys. Oh, that is so cool. Well, guys, what an amazing, amazing project you have going on here. You have certainly not heard the last from us because this is everything that this show is about. You've given me the chills. Seriously. Great. Absolutely. Me either. I'm excited to hear that. Yeah, you're going to look at my venome and you're just going to go, what? There's something wrong. Well, you know what, David? I'm that pink house on the block, so I will confess that I have a venome <laughs> that really does like sweet white wines. And although I can appreciate a big, bold red, I am that person that my friends always like to tease about my actual love of sweet whites. So I, I don't w- think your results could be any stranger than mine. Well, I think what I would personally want to know is, based on testing 500 people, 1,000 people, whatever, it is, what are the wines that are going to be the most like? Because that information could be incredibly valuable to the industry. Here's what we're going to find out. Pinot isn't all it's cracked up to be. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, hey, what a pleasure having you guys on. This has been a real treat and let's promise we're going to do more on this because I think this is just the beginning and I know you guys are destined for great, great things. Thank you, David. Well, listen, we appreciate the time, David, and uh, we share your enthusiasm for sharing great wine with people, and it's all about the friends we share it with typically. So uh, thanks for that, and we'll consider you a friend, and we'll look forward to sharing some wine with you soon. Oh, I'll be your best friend. Anyway, we are going to move on to our next and last topic today, but my deepest thanks go out to Ron Andrews and Shannon Kieran and Sarah Reardon of Venome, Inc., What a great business. This is just groundbreaking. And, you know, you may have not heard it first here on Grape Encounters, but you heard it here, and that's what really matters. So dig into it. Google these guys. You know, get involved. I endorse this company. I'm not even making anything. All right. We'll be back with Grape Encounters right after this. Remember, as much as you may love wine, it is not the answer to your problems. Unless the problem is you're out of wine. Your Grape Encounter with David Wilson will continue right after these important messages. You don't have a problem with that, do you? She's earthy, honest, and sipping each week as a service to you. From Sunset Magazine, it's Sarah Schneider. And this is Sipping with Sarah on Grape Encounters Radio. 
with Grape Encounters Radio, and now joining us, and she's looking fresh as a daisy, Sarah Schneider has had her pampering, and now it's time to do a little bit of work, if you can call this work, Sarah. You because, make it sound like a hard day. You know, really. all of your handlers and your dressers and all <laughs> of that. Only. Yeah, if only. That didn't really happen. Keep that myth going. Although her helicopter, <laughs> when it lands, people get excited about that. Anyway, so Sarah, we're going to do a wine yet again today. This is not Stump the Sarah exactly. But you have you noticed that, that in the past weeks I've not been doing that to you? Not as much. I've been trying you to be to do that kind. to me. Though. I used to do it a lot, but you humiliated me so many times by getting <laughs> it right that I just don't do it. I've poured a wine into your glass. It's blind again. And when I say it's blind, this wine could be used as blinds because it would keep all the light out, wouldn't it? This is an amazingly dense wine. This is the. You mean that it's stupid? One of the darkest, deepest colored wine I think I've seen in a long time. Really, it is, isn't it? It's inky black. Boy, I'll tell you what. So here's what I can tell you about the wine. I pour this wine for people. They go bonkers for this wine. And I brought it in because I had wanted to talk about a particular varietal today. And it happens to be this wine. Okay. Okay. Is that varietal? And that's what we're going to be talking about today. But I thought, you know, how can we talk about a varietal if we're not drinking the varietal, right? We can't. That would be a sin. That would be like deceiving our public, right? Ah. Okay. So go ahead and give her your swirl, your signature Sarah Schneider swirl. And this swirl is staining the whole glass. Yeah, just don't get it on you because that baby's dark, which doesn't necessarily mean anything, mm, right? This doesn't mean anything. There's yeah. sort of a high-toned aromatic quality to the nose. I think this wine is so well-suited to the American palate, for one thing. Mm-hmm. It's what Americans really like to drink. Not to say that it's a bad thing or a good thing. It's just the kinds of wines that we like, this would be right there. And the funny part about this wine is that it would be a shocker to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Does that take you anywhere or have I just confused you more? You confused me. I would, would you say so, the inkiness of this wine is at least visually when you drink it, it doesn't taste nearly as inky as you think it's going to be? No, and it threw me off. I mean, I would look at it and I'd say, oh, that's Petit Syrah. Exactly, or, yeah. Um, Petit Verdot or something not, like that. Or even Syrah. Yeah. You know, you see Syrahs, Syrah some Grenaches that are, are deep like that. Yeah, Malbec for sure. Yeah. But it's none of those. The nose isn't anything like that, any of those varieties. Yeah. Um, so this is a wine that I think is off of most people's radar. And when I say most people, I mean most wine drinkers, people who really are into wine in more than a casual way. This is probably not necessarily on their radar, but for the general public, and when I say general public, I'm talking about people who just drink table wine, you know, not expensive wine. This one would definitely be on their radar. Would be on their radar. Would radar. be on their radar. Isn't that a strange well, distinction? That is strange. Are you saying that this is a wine that usually goes into blends? No. No, it's usually on its own. I'm saying it's a very, very popular wine, but it's not so popular with people who drink fine wine. Now I'm really confused. Now you won't be when you realize what it is. You want to take any guesses? Well, it's not a shocker at all. This is an easy one. This is easy. I was headed down the path towards something that usually is a blender. Well, yes, this wine gets blended, but it's very popular as a single varietal. Are we talking Zinfandel? No, we're not. I mean, not with that color. What is the most maligned wine out there right now? Merlot. It's Merlot. Wow. Yes. See, the color threw me way off. Yes, it's Merlot. And there's a lot of lessons about this particular wine as we kind of get into it. But let's first talk about Merlot for a second. Okay. Merlot makers got kicked in the teeth some years ago when the movie Sideways came out. Yep. Because a fictitious character told you what you should like and not like. (laughs) And it's really funny Mm -hmm. because it could have been any wine, but Miles, the main character in Merlot, 
Merlot, shouted out, I'm not drinking any blinking Merlot. And that was it for Merlot. That was Those it. were death words. And anybody that was not making good Merlot, they just tore their Merlot out. And they put Pinot in because Miles loved Pinot. And guess what? Pinot doesn't grow where Merlot grows, at least not well. And we saw the rise of Pinot and the fall of Merlot, which was a huge tragedy because Merlot is such a beautiful wine. Right. Boy, when you get your hands on a good Merlot, it's just amazing. Yeah. Now, this particular wine, I will tell you, sells like hotcakes. Really? It's just a fun wine to drink, just envelops you. Beyond those lush cherry flavors, which is, you know, Merlot marker, it also has a hint of, and this is something I really like about Merlot, a fresh herb quality along the edges Yeah. that I think make it a really interesting wine. So you know what I do with this wine when people say they don't like Merlot, I'll kind of take the conversation someplace else and then eventually I'll go grab a bottle of this and I'll pour a glass blind for them. I don't tell them what it is. I go, oh, by the way, try this. You'll, you'll really love this wine. And then they'll try it and they'll just go bananas for it. I go, wow, what is that? And then I'll do what I'm going to do for you. I take it out do of the, the reveal. I take <laughs> it out of the bag and I reveal it and there, there it is. Go. Do you know what that is? I've never seen this, but it's a Napa Valley. Okay. It is a Napa Valley Merlot and it is from Amelo. And there's another great story that we have to tell you here because Amelo is a second label from the Wagner family. There. And the Wagner family makes the wines from Camus. And for those of you who are in places where you can't get a huge selection of wine, you probably are familiar with Camus Conundrum. Or right. It's not called Camus Conundrum anymore. They just call it Conundrum. For a long time, it was just the white. And then they came out with a red, this juicy, unctuous. It's like the cherry or strawberry sauce on the New York cheesecake. <laughs> you know, it's just they make these. This really... is a little bit like that, too. Well, that's what I'm saying. And mm -hmm. this wine, people just love this wine. And even if they're Merlot haters, or they think they are, the fact is, is that there's just gobs of really good Merlot out there right now. There really are. I, and it's reasonably yeah. priced, and it doesn't need to be, because frankly, Merlot, in my opinion, is just as good a grape as Cabernet. Made right, it's delicious. It's one of the noble ones. And wasn't that the joke at the end of that movie, Sideways? Yeah, go ahead and tell that. When Miles, our main character, who has been dissing Merlot for the entire trip that he's been on, at a very low point, is having a hamburger in the last scene and pulls out his very special bottle of Right Bank Bordeaux. And the joke's on him because it's primarily Merlot. Yeah. He doesn't know that. Funny stuff. So the other lesson in this, drink Merlot. You know, Merlot used to sell for around 5000 a ton, meaning, you know, think of your one-ton pickup truck filled with grapes. It's come up a little bit now, but there was a time when it was selling for 1500 from 5000 to 1500 That's why the price fell so much in the wines. But Merlot is a really close relative to Cabernet. Right. It's just as good a grape, in my opinion. But it's now very inexpensive, and the Merlot out there is really good, so buy it. But the second thing is, look for second labels. Many, many wineries, like the Camus folks, they have second labels, and they make sense. these really delicious wines that are just a fraction of the price of their flagship wines. So it's always good to find out if there are other wines in the wine family. Really good point. Yeah. It's worth doing the research. All right. That's going to do it for Grape Encounters today. Thank you very much, Sarah Schneider. My pleasure. Boy, I'm going to finish up this glass. You yeah. like it? This we can't spit or pour. No, we can't spit or pour. All right. But we can spit poorly. <laughs> okay. Always do. We'll see you all back here next week. Your grape encounter isn't over. We're just taking a breather until next week's edition.